Acts chapter 11. We're going to read verses 19 through 26 this morning. I'm going to complete uh, what I left us hanging with last week in the work of the Holy Spirit. As we saw in the beginning of Acts chapter 11, Peter reporting to the church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the Gentiles into the church of Jesus Christ. And we'll continue talking about the work, the nature and work of the Holy Spirit. And then on into the church at Antioch, particularly talking about Barnabas and his ministry and work there. Please stand to honor the Lord with me as we read from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We had talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this uh, particular marker of the outpouring of God's Spirit to immerse these new believers in the power of God's Spirit for the formation of the church, the expansion of the, of the work of God from the Jews into the Gentiles and the creation of a new community. In speaking about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit, I mentioned to you that there are at least four basic ways in which the Holy Spirit ministers to us. The Holy Spirit empowers, purifies, reveals, and unifies. We're going to see all of these works taking place in the church as it expands outward. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit empowering, we mentioned last week, the first of which is giving new life, to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, the resurrection of the body one day to come, and then the power to serve and obey Jesus. If you missed that, you can catch that on the podcast or the website. There's all kinds of different ways to listen to sermons here. You can go to the website for that. But we're going to pick up on purifying, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit of holiness. God is holy. He is thrice over holy. It is the great attribute of God that defines who he is. He is other. He is separated from sin, separated from his creation. And his spirit coming to us is a spirit of holiness, a spirit that will separate us from sin. Whenever we become Christians, as we spoke of last week, and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell our hearts after we believe in Christ Jesus, there will be in our lives a decisive break with sin. 
a decisive break with sin. This is what repentance and faith means. There is something about our lives where we want to turn away from the evil of who we used to be. And there is something that is noticeably different about our lives when we become a Christian and the Holy Spirit indwells our life. There is no way you can say, I have made a confession of faith, I have become a Christian, and there is no noticeable break with sin in your life. It's not possible because the Spirit of the Lord cannot dwell in a person that still loves and seeks after their sin in the same way they did before they made that confession. It's just words. It's not real. As we make a decisive break with sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is clear growth toward holiness and godly character. Now, there's not a perfect person in this room, most definitely not me, but we are making progress. We can look back some years in the past and say, I can see growth and godliness in my life, praise the Lord. I can see the work of the Lord in my life that I'm not the same as I used to be with the way I talk to people and the habits that I have and the things that I consider entertaining and the friends that I have, the way I look at money. You can go all the way down the line with all kinds of different things here. But the Holy Spirit uses certain basic tools to shape our lives. Anytime you build something, you use tools to build it. And the way the Holy Spirit works in our life is by Scripture, by His church, by Christian fellowship, and by prayer. Those are at least the four basic fundamentals. And if you are regularly in God's Word, you are in prayer, you are in church fellowship around other Christians in your life, the Holy Spirit will use those things to shape and mold and form your life and take you further and further away from the things of this world and closer and closer to His kingdom. Let me read one passage for you about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The work of God's Spirit is working to change us, to take us from what we used to be to make us something new. It says you were justified, that means declared not guilty. You are moving away from these things by the power of God's Spirit. There's various categories here. There's a number of things related to sexuality, and you cannot read past this without just saying it. We must conduct ourselves differently in the way that we conduct ourselves sexually. The world is trying as hard as it can to move all those things into a non-moral category, but they are moral things. God cares how you conduct yourself in that way, and it matters as to your relationship with God. We have then idolaters, we have those some categories uh, related to money, thieves, greedy, swindlers. If 
If you are a true materialist, it means that you are seeking after the things of this world above everything else. And you'll do whatever it takes to get a hold of those things. If you have to lie to someone, cheat someone, steal something, you will do it in order to gain what the world has. And it's a marker that you do not really love Jesus because you are acting in this way. Strife, revilers, those who are angry, those whose words divide. And we're going to look at that some more here in a moment. But such were some of you. We can, everyone in this, in this room, fall into some category that we see here or other lists of sins. We were called out of these things. We leave these things behind in Christ and by the power of his spirit, we are made new. We are sanctified. We are set apart from those things going in a new direction. And this is the work of God's spirit. There's an initial decisive work but then there is a work that continues on because as we go on in the Christian life, obedience is the most certain proof of our sincere faith. It's worked out many different ways in the scriptures. But if we say we love God, we will follow his commands and we will find that his commands are good and lovely and those things which lead to life. Not a hard thing because God is for us. He has laid out before us the ways of life. And when we walk in them, there is blessing. But always sin is seeking in, to enter in. Always we have an enemy. And so there is the need for us to continually seek the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. I heard a great illustration about this this past week. I've been working on cars a lot this past week, so I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. There's a great uh, Dave's Auto Shop out of Montana, great Christian guy, has awesome videos. And, and one of them, he's talking about corrosion in a battery and how the acid of the battery comes out. If you've ever seen a corroded battery, if you don't clean it, the corrosion keeps working its way across the battery. Then it starts working its way down the wires, and then it works its way into the frame. And he was talking about it as an illustration of sin while he's sitting here fixing this car. See, if this guy had taken care of this corrosion when it first started, we wouldn't have this big mess here. But because he didn't, the corrosion kept spreading and spreading, and it will continue to spread until you clean it up. And man, that's a great illustration. Sin continues to corrode in our lives, and it spreads and it spreads. And until we get on our knees, when we recognize it and first lift the hood up and see, I've got a problem here. We go to God's spirit and pray for his purifying work that this might be cleaned up, that this corrosion might stop and recede, that there might be purity in our lives. We are asking for God's purifying work in our life. The Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit purifies, the Holy Spirit reveals. The Holy Spirit reveals God's work and person to us. The first way in which God does this by his spirit is through the scriptures. We are told that the scriptures were written by men carried along by the Holy Spirit. We now have this record of scripture, which we should not take for granted, of all the ancient works in the world. It is by far, in a way, the most well-documented, the most clearly uh, held and preserved to this day. And it is not a mistake as to why these things have been preserved. Because the word of the Lord will not pass away. It will carry on forever. And so it is with us still, treasured always by Christians because it gives us access to understand God. It is God revealing himself in his person and his works to us. 
But we will not understand these things without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Some of you may have come to Christ later in life and you remember a time when you read the Bible and it meant nothing to you. It was just words on a page or something that you had a, a much worse view of. It's only when we come to salvation that God's Spirit illumines our hearts. Various ways the scriptures talk about this in John chapter 14 and 16 and 1 Corinthians 2. That the Holy Spirit teaches us, guides us, and gives us understanding of the scriptures. When we pray and ask for the work of the Lord in our heart by His Spirit, and then we encounter the Scriptures, they become alive to us. And they change us in a way that they never did before God's Spirit was present in our lives. And so if you are reading the Scriptures and the Scriptures have lost their luster or their joy to you, much of this has to do with prayer. That you need to quiet your heart and ask for God's Spirit to minister His Word to your heart and understand that you don't just press into the Bible like a normal book. It is God's word, and you will not understand or believe or be guided into what is happening here apart from a work of the Holy Spirit. So it's an active process. God's spirit is ministering to you through the scriptures. And so we must be active and purposeful in our going to the scriptures and asking for God by his spirit to minister to us through his word. And this just increases our active engagement with the scriptures. But I can guarantee you that God will minister to you through his word if you will ask him to do so. He's done it for so many years in my life and in so many years through many, many people in this church. We must not give up on the scriptures and we must always pray for the revealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we go through the book of Acts, the apostles as they preach and teach will always be using the scriptures to minister to people. So many people I talk to and they talk about their encounters with God and they want to talk to me about dreams that they've had or unusual encounters that they've had or people that they've talked to or books that they've read. But they say, but I just, I've kind of lost touch with God. And my first question is always, how much are you prayerfully in the scriptures? And the answer is always very little, brother, very little. Because they have lost sight of this, this revealing work of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. It is all the work of God's spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers, purifies, reveals, and lastly, unifies. The Holy Spirit brings the church together in Jesus' name. Christianity is not just about you and Jesus. It begins there. Every person comes into the kingdom of God individually through that narrow gate and on that narrow way. But once we pass through that gate, we enter into the fellowship of the church. There is much loneliness, much, much isolation in our time because people can sit home and they can watch this on YouTube or watch some other preacher on YouTube and say, hey, you know, I've heard this. It's great. I'm sitting on my couch and I've, I've gotten my like Christian vitamin for the day or something like that. It is not enough. The Christian life was by design made to function as a community. That's why it's called the body of Christ. If you cut your thumb off, it will not keep living by itself. It will die. And if you separate yourself from the church for whatever reason, because you can't stop finding fault or I don't know how, whatever the reason may be, there will not be good spiritual life. You must come back into the fellowship because it was made that way by the Lord. 
So the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, begins a new community, and that new community is called the church. And the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to be characterized by unity and by joy. I thank God for what is happening in this church, that we see much of unity and much of joy in this church. No church is perfect, but there is much of that here because I believe there's much of God's Spirit here. And the thermometer or the test of how God's Spirit is doing or, or or working, I should say, in a church relates much to its joy and its unity. Because the opposite of this is strife and discord and factions and disputes. Those are listed often as fruits of the flesh. And they are opposite of each other. They cannot coexist together. You cannot have a church that's full of joy and unity and hope in God's spirit and also have a church that's shot through with factions and divisions and strife and anger. I want to read an interesting little illustration that I thought was just great. In our uh, Christian leadership class, I've been reading back through The Hiding Place, a wonderful biography. If you've never read it, you should read it or listen to it. It's about Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, and uh, it's a long story, but they come from Holland. They're hiding Jews uh, in the Jewish underground, getting them out of Germany. And eventually they are found. And uh, she and her sister in their late 50s are thrown into the Ravensbrück concentration and death camp and spend years there. So they are sent to Barracks 28 at one point, And this is a large hall uh, designed to hold approximately 400 women. And at the time they're moved into it, there are 1,400 women in this building. The beds are these square pillars that are three high. And each of these sort of pads are meant to sleep four women. And each of them have 10 women on them by the time they get there, covered in rancid, flea-infested straw. Uh, eight toilets for the whole mess, and it's freezing in the winter and baking hot in the summer. It's just about as bad. I don't know how you get a worse living condition than this. Here's a quote for you about the work of the unity of the Holy Spirit. Here, there was not even a common language, and among exhausted, ill-fed people, quarrels erupted constantly. There was one raging now as the women sleeping nearest the windows slammed them shut against the cold. At once, scores of voices demanded that they be raised again. And brawls were starting all up and down the side of the room. And we heard scuffling and slapping and sobs. In the dark, I felt Betsy's hand clasp mine. Lord Jesus, she said aloud, send your peace into this room. There has been too little praying here and the very walls know it. But where you come, Lord, the spirit of strife cannot exist. I'm going to read that one more time. But where you come, Lord, the spirit of strife cannot exist. The change was gradual but distinct. One by one, the angry sounds led up. I'll make you a deal, the voice spoke German with a strong Scandinavian accent. You can sleep in here where it's warmer and I'll take your place by the window. And add your lice to my own. And there was a chuckle and an answer. No thanks. I'll tell you what, the third voice had a French burr. We'll open them halfway, then we'll be only half frozen and you'll only be half smothered. And a ripple of laughter widened around the room at this. I lay back in the sour straw and knew that one more circumstance for which I could give thanks was that Betsy had come to Barracks 28. Great story for a lot of ways, a lot of reasons. But 
the thing that I want you to see here is true. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, strife cannot exist. That's a true statement. If we, wherever we see dissensions and factions and strife in our life, we should pray for the ministering work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit unifies and brings together and causes Christians to dwell together in peace with one another. We should be striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile all struggles between each other and find a way to die to ourselves that we might give deference to others in the church, in our homes, in our businesses. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of love and joy, peacemaking, encouraging, and unifying. We're going to see all these aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit working its way out in the church at Antioch. In the passage that we read this morning, the gospel is going out from Jerusalem to further places. And it goes out to Antioch. And in Antioch, they begin preaching to the Hellenists, which are the Greeks, the non-Jews. And as they preach to them, the power of the Holy Spirit and all that we have just said begins to expand to this new place. And in verse 20, it says that there were some of them, men of Cyrus and Cyrene, some of them. There's no name. These were not special apostles. They were not particular people. These were just some people that were preaching to Greeks in that area that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nameless to us, their names known to God. And as they are preaching, the most important thing that is present, that must be present for effective ministry is mentioned here in verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life, to change, to reveal his word, to begin purifying people from sin, and to take people that were at odds with each other and bring them in unity together. When the Lord is with us, who can be against us? This phrase is used all throughout scripture with Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, David, Mary, John the Baptist, when the Lord is with us, there will be no turning back from these things. It will, we will see the work of the Lord. It's what we're always praying for. Lord, may your spirit be poured out that your work might be accomplished. But we must understand that the work of the Lord by sanctification is not a, an arbitrary work. The work of sanctification is a cooperative work where we are seeking after the Lord and as we seek him, he meets us where we are and strengthens. As we obey in earnest godliness, the Holy Spirit meets us to carry us along and accomplish his work. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by earnest heartfelt devotion of Jesus Christ and purity of heart. Let me say that again. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit is always accompanied by earnest, heartfelt devotion to Jesus Christ and a purity of heart and sincere obedience. And so it is here. These things are not apart from this type of work. And we know that because of something we'll see with Barnabas here later. 
but we also know it from church history. It's always this way. When people have a, a, a fervent passion to go share the gospel, to live in holiness, to be a prayerful people, to seek the Holy Spirit along the lines that we've talked about here, the Lord meets us in that place and he furthers the work for his glory and by his power. Well, as this revival breaks out amongst these people that are not supported in any direct way by the apostles at Jerusalem, they send Barnabas. They want to send a senior leader. Every new work of the Lord needs some senior leadership by those who are further along in the faith, that there might be mentorship, that there might be clear guidance. And so it is that the church sends Barnabas. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's a beautiful nickname. That is an absolutely fantastic name. Son of encouragement. Encouragement means to give someone support, confidence, or hope. Or all three together. Support, confidence, and hope. We all need people around us to minister such things to us. To come to us and support us. And to say, I know that this can be done. I know that you can do this by God's grace. To give you hope where you are without hope. All of us fall down. And we all need someone to pick us back up again and help us. All of us need this ministry from God's spirit. But we need it directly from other individuals too. We need people in our lives that will physically put a hand on our shoulder and will speak a word of encouragement to us, empowered by God's Spirit. And so this is what Barnabas does. And the church was wise to send him to a fledgling work. In verse 22 and following, Barnabas is described as glad, as exhorting the church there to remain faithful and keep steadfast. He is exhorting them to what I just said to you earlier. This earnest, heartfelt devotion of Jesus Christ. This purity of heart. This passion that they have for the Lord. Exhorting them to remain faithful. To keep on in this way. To remain steadfast in the things that they have been doing when it gets more difficult later on. This is the work of encouragement. He stays there with them and encourages them as long as he can, and we assume teaches them as well as he can. But at some point, this relates to the body life of the church. Barnabas says, I'm not the man for this. There's, I can do what I can do, but there's someone else whose story I've heard in the past, and I am convinced has been called of God, and this is the ministry he needs to be involved with, and that person is Paul. And so he goes and looks for Paul. He goes and seeks him out in Tarsus to find him. And there have been many years of gap since the vision of Paul on the road of Damascus as Paul has been preparing himself for ministry for many years. And now is the time for him to become involved. And Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him back to this situation. And they begin to minister together. We know from the later workings, uh, the later stories recorded in the book of Acts that Paul was the primary preacher and speaker. Barnabas was with him or beside him because Barnabas' main ministry appears to be that of encouragement. 
that of lifting people up. You can just see him coming alongside people and putting his arm around them and praying for them and knowing their name and knowing their struggle and trying to identify with them and lifting them up personally to the Lord. And he's doing this while Paul is preaching and writing because no person can do everything. And that's exactly what must happen in this church. Certain people have been given certain gifts to teach. And I pray God that we have many people in this church like Barnabas. That by the power of the Holy Spirit they are strengthened to go about encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. Supporting, helping, praying, speaking words of blessing. That they instill confidence in others for godliness. Not that they are proud and high and people say, oh, I could never achieve that. But there's a distinct humility about their life that when they come alongside you, you say, man, I, I want to I be like that. I want to follow Christ as I follow after this person. And they encourage you to come along with them in some form of mentorship. Hope that when you are down, they are, they are high. They are strengthened by God's spirit. And even those people though, will need encouragement from time to time because none of us are always strong in the spirit. Every spirit-filled church needs more than one Barnabas and I pray that this church will be filled with many. That you will go to the Lord and that he will fill you by his spirit and work in you in such a way that when you encounter others from the church that you take seriously that command that we might stir each other up towards love and good deeds and that you are one that ministers encouragement to others. Well, as we close, may you know the power of the Holy Spirit. May you pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. May you ask God for more of this ministry that we have talked about in the past two weeks. May you be an encourager to others. May you turn your mind's eye away from yourself and to other people. And that through being with the Lord in his word, being ministered to by his Holy Spirit, that you might minister encouragement to others. That you would be a son or a daughter of encouragement in your family, in your church, in your workplace. And those of you that do not know Christ as your Savior, and what I have been saying this morning is something far off, but something that seems beautiful, something that seems like I need this, and I know that the way I have been living only leads to death. May today you turn away from your sins. May you repent. May there be a decisive break with sin in your life, and may you believe in the salvation of Jesus, that you might be justified, declared not guilty, that you might enter into relationship with Jesus Christ and that today you might become a son or daughter of the Lord by adoption, brought in by love and by grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gradual development of the church that is recorded in the book of Acts as your spirit's work gradually works its way out and the faithful men and women they were a part of that early church. We pray, God, that we would be faithful in our time. We know that your spirit is still at work in our day, and we ask, God, that you would pour out your spirit upon this church, that you, by the love and the grace and the mercy of the Holy Spirit, would unify our hearts together, that you would purify us from sin, that you would reveal your word to us, and the sanctifying power of the spirit would ever grow new life in us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your work in our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.